Hello, everyone. Welcome to another recap of the Hapless Heroes podcast. I'm Francesco, and tonight I'm joined by Dave. Hey. Nicole. Hello. Phil. Hello. And John. Oh, hi. Uh, Mike couldn't join us tonight, so we figured, you know, it's actually high time we do another recap, especially as things are starting to escalate and get bigger here. Um, and, you know, we probably should be doing these more often anyways. So we're going to recap the events from essentially what's happened since our last recap. So we're talking from episode 134 until now. Um, and yeah, we're just going to keep this kind of like we did last time, just kind of casual, just talk about some things, maybe, you know, expose a little bit more lore that we didn't have a chance to or things that should be well known at this point and just kind of bring you guys up to speed about where we are now and where we are potentially heading, you know, and Dave will give us a little introduction on what to expect next. So first, I guess I'll just start by mentioning, right, we, since the, since the last recap, the first thing you guys, the party did was, we were, they were sent, um, you know, the summit of the Southern Kingdoms was happening, all of the world leaders from everywhere um, in the civilized, you know, war, world of Tal'Doria that still exists, you know, no, south of where the foul upheaval in the crucible lands and all that terrible stuff is and has happened. Um, we're all gathering to kind of discuss these emerging threats of the undead marching on the lands and, you know, figuring out how to band together and, you know, sort of save the world, so to speak. And it, the heroes kind of were quickly called upon as the, the heroes, the kingdoms needed, but not necessarily the ones that they wanted. Um, and your first task was actually to, try to secure additional assets to, you know, help with the, the effort to build a airship armada to, you know, kind of create these defenses and sort of react to now these, the undead that are pouring into the Southern kingdoms. Um, and you were sent, we were sent to find Dr. Heinz. Dave did a great job, you know, kind of running that adventure. It was very, you know, it took a lot of different twists and turns. We were given classics like Doppelpopolis because, uh, well, you know, Dave, give us a little summary, I guess, of that, you know, whole arc. Like we were sent by, you know, Chief Executive gave our party a mission. Yeah, because why not have marching orders every now and again? The party has generally been this sort of self-directed um, um, rock and roll world tour that just sort of goes where they please and do whatever they feel is necessary. So to have a little bit of um, like externally imposed direction was kind of a fun little thing. And um, you know, I got to send you up to the Tri-Nation Peninsula, a little area on the map that hadn't, um, hadn't really had any... Uh, anything written on it. So it was this nice little blank slate where I could send you off on what was, I don't know, I guess really my love letter to the work of, you know, Dan Povenmire and Jeff Marsh, you know, and uh, Phineas and Ferb, because you know, it, it's a guy with kids. I've had to watch too much children's TV and why not inflict <laughs> that upon my friends? But it, you know, it, it I, I felt like there, there was some, you know, potentially fun stuff to mine there. And it, it really was. Um, so you guys, went up to the peninsula and um, encountered uh, Dr. Hines, uh, who you were tasked to bring him back and utterly failed to do so in spectacular fashion as the hapless heroes are wont to do. It was one of those typical, like we succeed through our fail. Like it's failure after failure after failure until we make it out of there mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. 
what I'll say to you in our defense is that while we may not have evacuated Dr. Hines, we did manage as a party to evacuate the populace of this city, which turned out to be a lot far fewer people than um, we thought. And because most of them were essentially automata created by these wonder children. Uh, uh, what were they? Um, I just Flynn and Fletcher. Yeah. Flynn yeah. And Fletcher. Right. And you know, these, they're these essentially wonderkind, like, you know, like magical prodigies who, you know, were, they made an underground these, city. They literally created an underground city. Right. And that, that was that they had created to protect the pe- the actual people who lived in this village above, um, you know, from the impending undead horde storming in, you know, and the, we had to convince them that it's not safe to stay here. Like you, we need to evacuate. And so that became the plan. We had a plan and yeah, I, I got to make, um, turn, turn a couple of NPCs into the MacGuffin. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's true. Right. Cause like, we actually actually also completely forgot about Dr. Hines when it came time to evacuate because, well, we had to, as the episode titles around this time would suggest, evacuate prematurely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's uh, kind of like a timetable that only I knew. <laughs> kind I of think it was also one playing? of those things. Uh, D&D. <laughs> one of the uh, best reveals was that none of us checked the scale of our enemies and what looked like regular sized zombies that were close were actually titans like that grave titans away. yeah i'm yeah. super fucking proud of that one yeah, yeah. and we've and, and and i guess we've alluded to these and shown these grave titans in a few different scenarios now like kind of leading up to this like throughout the pepper throughout the entire campaign because again we've been doing this now for almost five years we just let's just let that sink in everyone listening to this right now we've been doing this campaign for over five years with a variety of a rotating cast from all the people. Cause like, you know, life goes on and a lot of changes in our lives in five years, people have gotten married, have had kids. Like there's a whole lot of things happening. Right. So the fact that like, you know, we've been able to sort of still find ways to thread these plot devices and these things that we've alluded to for so long. Right. Finally started to tie all that together. It's, 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 it's great. Cause that's what's happening now. Even, um, and yeah, like obviously we can't stay with these. We're all, there's like literally a horde of these titans who are throwing smaller zombies out from their stomachs at us. <laughs> at you like you just like it's terrifying. You need to get the fuck out of there. I think it's also important that like I feel like some of the characters just assumed that we had Doctor Hines with us, and nobody took the time to check. And then by the time we were leaving, it was just way too late. There's these massive zombies that we can't fight. Yeah, at least at that time. Well, you know, what, he, was, what was interesting is his tower flashing a light and then like sucked in upon itself. So exactly, his, yeah. his time magic was already unstable because of what was happening. And then I'm sure he kicked it into high gear. And there's no telling whether he was damaged or just simply teleported into another place in time. Right. Yeah. Cause like we, he did do something sort of as a, as a last ditch to help us escape. Cause we essentially had built with the help of these like people like automata that were totally not doppelgangers, Jarell. They just looked a lot like other people. 
this was like this is this was one of those times where we where Dave, you know, I, you know, us as DMs like love to you know kind of just touch on those little those little character points and where we cemented Jarrell's sort of hatred of doppelgangers. Um, so we obviously had to start playing into that and just digging into that more. So we had a great great time with that in Doppelpopolis. Um, but yeah, so we, we managed to evacuate, get all these people on this people mover that we essentially hitched to our airship and were dragging behind us to get to this like village at the shore, crashed through the gates and loaded them all onto like the, the ships that the sea lords had sent that were waiting to, you know, essentially evacuate these people. And we made it out by the skin of our teeth. Um, which is crazy. You know, I think I think I, I, I think I don't think I missed anything there, right? I'm pretty sure that that covers sort well, of the gist of yeah, no, that, that's pretty much everything that happened. Yeah, and um, you know, the only commentary I kind of have there is yeah, having Doctor Hines be a chronomancer means that I can punt on anything. <laughs> like <laughs> I can, yeah. I can now delay anything to any time. Yeah, as, you, as soon as you start fucking with time, like anything can happen, right? But again, this is, mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a this is fantasy D and D. Anything can happen, anyways. So. Now oh you just yeah, have an zero. At that point, zero did have to put down a uh, mimic union. No union for the mimics. Oh yeah, that's oh, right. I forgot there, about that. Part. There, there oh. was there was a mimic uprising, like a union, like they were trying oh, to unionize yeah. on the airship because of the hold of holding that we had established. Yeah, I remember. That must have that was a filler somewhere. Where did right we... right in between the evacuations? Yeah. Oh no! Shit, was that before or after playing a foreshadow? No, we uh, had before. to figure out it was before. Okay. Before, yeah, because I because yeah. yeah, episode one forty two, the hold of holding. Um, we had you know because like at this point, I mean, if you've been following the show thus far, and if you're just dropping in now and listening to this recap, something that we've done over the last several years is, you know, if we're ever if we ever have a night where, you know the next episode we're about to record at the next session we have is like supposed to like, we're about to jump into a combat or something like significant where we really need everybody in the party to be present. And someone has like a real life obligation come up, whether it's like, you know, work or family or whatever. Right. Um, it's usually when we punt over like some, you know, just do like sort of an ad hoc, like interns episode. Like we check in on the other characters at this point that we've introduced to the show. Right. So each, each of us at this point has a secondary character, except for Nicole. Um, who's jointly joined the show recently as Boris the Butcher, which is a reprised, you know, NPC from from the early days of this podcast. Um, but you know, everyone sort of has this intern character that they'll end up playing. And hell, if we have to do another interns episode, then Nicole will have to have her inaugural intern episode. Obviously, everyone's had Boris could so. definitely have an intern by now. She's she's been working hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we always check in on them and it's always like stuff like happening, like on the ship or like, you know, just the routine maintenance, like, well, the heroes are off doing their thing, you know, what's happening back where everyone's just chilling, you know? Cause like, I think Dave and I have talked about, we've introduced sort of this party select mechanic, right? Where now that each person or each player has multiple characters, like before a story arc or, you know, as we go into certain things, we've kind of created a situation for a while where you can kind of choose which character you're bringing into there. You know, uh, most of the times we all elect to bring our main characters because we love them so much and they hold a deep place in our hearts. But there are times where a little little mix is called for. Well, what's great is that... You need the goose person. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the fact that there are adventures happening on our ship. Right. Like, 
and like could be at all times, you know, and part of our party select is dealing with that while the other party is just kind of relaxing in their bunks or waiting for the next quest. Right. And, you know, one of the things we guess we've learned as a show is that, you know, it's just if we can find if we could still find a way to like create content and if we can just, you know, have those any little things we can drop in on a little extra story, little things to enrich, you know, the world that we've created and crafted here, like we might as well do it like we got, you know, and then we'll just jump back in when everyone's here again. And it's like nothing, you know, so we had that. You're right. Um, but then after that was the premature evacuation. And then as we know, cause our last recap was January, 2020, um, the pandemic happened and now we're all recording this from home. And so, you know, while we were still getting our bearings and figuring out, you know, just personal situations, right. I think everyone, we were all going through a, a very challenging time at that point and some of us you know i think i think we think we still are i think we're just kind of getting used to this particular normal or at least like are growing a little more accustomed to what we have to be doing right now as you know as a people but we decided to kind of explore a story arc that we and a thread that we had left hanging as like we were down, you know, some cast members who weren't able to really do the remote thing or, you know, who had other obligations because of work and, you know, just kind of trying to make a living and, and, and survive the early days of this pandemic. Um, we decided to look into what's happening in the Shadowfell because the last time we checked in on Hondo the Merciless, John's actual technical, technically first character on this podcast. Because you joined us for yeah. our, we had a little special, like a little full play special that we kind of peppered in, you know, into our in between our main story things, where we explored some happenings with, um, well, essentially the, the it, it sort of that's what led up to the events of the you know the big event in Talduria or not in Talduria in Tarantis, right? It was sort of this yeah, this, we'll, this this parallel story that was happening, and eventually all these things converged into that event. But your character at the end of that particular arc, you asked for immortality, stepped through a portal, and boom, ended up in the Shadowfell. So you were immortal, but frozen in place and couldn't go anywhere. So you were kind of, you know, <laughs> in a rough spot. Uh, mm -hmm. And we decided to check back in on that. So we had, you know, Phil made a character, Malek, you know, sort of the keeper of this, like it's in the Shadowfell. It's like a servant of the Raven Queen. It's pronounced um, Malek. Oh, my God. Here oh, he's go. fun. Oh, I really like that character too. Yeah. Um, I've had a privilege of uh, playing another game with Fran DMing the uh, Tomb of Horrors. Is that what it is? Or what are we playing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have a little side run, side game so going for going Malik through the is horrors. Trying his luck, uh, really enjoying playing him. And uh, that whole thing was a lot of fun. It was our first time on Roll 20. And being in, you know, pandemic and having to learn a lot of tech yeah. for me is a little foreign. Um, I know for people <laughs> like Dave, John, Fran, like no worries there. But uh, that was certainly a learning curve for a couple of us. I think a number of us had never been on Roll20 before. John, have you? I'm still using it as my dice rolling app. Like I'm still, I still see Hondo sitting in the corner whenever I open, whenever I get ready to play. And it's yeah. because his it's dice Hondo's are still here at, and yep, his dice I'm are still, still at my still, house. His dice are still at my house, <laughs> and he refuses to buy more dice. <laughs> yeah, I already bought dice. So this ep this episode has really <laughs> taken its own. You you remember these episodes, you know? 
Yeah, um, yeah. You know, was, was, the whole reason why we were in the Shadowfell was to revisit your character, and it created three other characters. Yeah, you know. and you know, I sort of use it as an opportunity to kind of foreshadow, you know, some of the bigger things to come. Um, because essentially, what happened there was these characters. I think Dave also had like Sir Delum Rook, which was you know another servant of the Raven Queen. Yeah, Be- um, because. I, I am such a shitty voice actor that I only have three or four voices. And Sir Dullum Rook is my old people voice. I use it for a lot of things. It's somewhere between Sir Sean Connery and Deckard Kane with a little bit of Bane in there. Yep. <laughs> There's some Bane. There's some Bane. So, you know, we had a great time with that. But essentially that story was exploring, like, you know, some some unknown entity was causing a disturbance in the Shadowfell. So Delam Rick was going to investigate it. You guys happened upon Malek in there, who was sort of the uh, steward of this hidden temple in to the Raven Queen that was, you know, now being sort of invaded by what turned out to be servants of Ebenezer, who... Now, we've talked a little bit about Ebenezer a lot. Yeah, I would say a lot, a lot. But, like, you know, we've mentioned him throughout the course of the show. In fact, you know, he was sort of the... You know, and he's known to be the person who essentially caused this cataclysmic event 160 years ago that changed the shape of this the world that you know our characters live in. Um, and yeah, I think Ebenezer is one of, if not the oldest character in the world chronologically, from when Fran and I really started putting this stuff together. Yeah, and so like you know, he's always been sort of alluded to as the big, big bad evil guy, and then in came Vecna, and now we have these two opposing forces, which you guys learned in this particular series of episodes that Ebenezer is actually also working to stop Vecna from essentially taking over like the, like the outer planes. Like he's sort of waged war on, you know, essentially all of like the deities and is trying to seize like all this power and, you know, corrupt everything because it's just, he's just the embodiment of evil. Well, he's, um, he's, he's affecting existence, not just mm-hmm. life. Yep. Because there, there are things that don't die, and he's finding a way to either imprison it or eradicate it. Yep. If you, if, you, if, you, if you don't serve Vecna, then you are against Vecna, and you will be destroyed. Right. So it, it, it seems... It's, it's nice to have those two different flavors of evil here, too, where, you know, you've got Vecna, who's very Saturday morning cartoon, mustache-twirling evil, which is such a rare thing. But then you got an Ebenezer character who is the hero in his own story. Very much so. You just, you just from what you can see in, in the party's interactions with him, Ebenezer is 100% convinced that he is 100% right. And that's, that's that, that different flavor of villain. And I like having both of them here. Right. So it's like you have, so it's, it's, it's sort of, this is the enemy of the, is the enemy of my enemy, my friend, or are they just, you know, keeping me close until I'm not useful anymore. So you kind of, so you learned that there was this agent of, this agent of um, Ebenezer who was essentially trying to steal souls from the river Styx, which was running through this particular underground temple and um, bring, you know, use them essentially for whatever Ebenezer's purposes are. And we learned later after this arc, right? That, he's essentially creating these like TikTok looking like automata with these like, you know, wispy souls floating around inside them that are essentially like acting as his servants. 
um, aside from the undead that are also pouring in that, you know, he would, he created or probably just all the people who, you know, died in whatever magical cataclysm happened in, you know, Ul and all the kingdoms that were north of, you know, the Southern kingdoms before the explosion and they became the crucible lands. So yeah, big opposing forces here. So like at the, at the end of this plane of foreshadow, you guys had stepped through a portal, right? That was still open that the, this, like this servant of Ebenezer had like brought this, you know, horrid looking. It was undead uh, behemoth. Yeah. Like, like I'm kind like of that. like a behemoth. It was, um, it was sort of, it's one of the, that the corpse takers or whatever, I forgot what they're called. Um, but essentially it's like, it's essentially a vessel that's made of like, and can, and, and his stores like people's souls when they die and like mm -hmm. their essences, it's like made of their, all, all their body parts and it has spikes all over it and shit like that. It, it's corpse collector. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Cause he had um, the, um, he had the necrotic cookbook. Hmm. Oh yeah, oh, right. there's that. I forgot about that. Yep, there was a necrotic cookbook you guys found. Hondo's um, yeah, making some undead the, cupcakes the, as we speak. What was it that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you guys step through that portal, that portal spits you out in the crucible lands. Fiery, fiery rain from the skies. We find ourselves in a in a cave. Yeah, you can see like there was like this and like this vortex of like pure energy like in the distance. You're like in a cave on the top of a mountain overlooking like just these swaths of undead titans and all manner of terrible creatures. Like the landscape was like spiked and you know just deformed and corrupted, and it was just a horrible, spooky place. And we left y'all there. The biggest twist was it Zero, who transformed into a potted plant. It wasn't zero. It was Sir Delam. No, oh, sorry, Sir Delam Rook. Yeah, my mistake. Um, Sir Delam Rook was transformed into a flower, like a, a yeah, potted flower. Oh yeah, because of the wild magic that was at. <laughs> oh yeah, there we go. There was sort of yeah, there's sort of this wild magic field that's sort of permeating magic, especially. It seems like deep within the Crucible Lands, those effects are very strong. Um, you know, and I think the reason we kind of allude to that is because you know there was sort of this 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 assumption here like that you know there's like this knowledge of like these ley lines of magic that essentially are what allow people of telduria to access the weave and you know cast spells and stuff tarantis the city that is now gone and was stolen by vecna uh was one of these sources of one of these ley lines that's been removed from this world so now the only known source of magic is coming from ul which is this epicenter of that, you know, cataclysm 160 years ago. So sometimes things are a little funky with magic. Spells don't work the same way as they used to. They backfire. You know, we saw later on, like Hedrick tried to cast a spell and instead confetti flew from his hands because Dave and I created a D100 table of random effects that is completely separate from the wild magic table. <laughs> to be fair, the confetti worked just as well, failing up again. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we, yeah. Don't want to skip ahead, but yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> At the risk of turning this into the DVD commentary, although it kind of is, because I fucking love rambling about the mechanics of D&D. Like, mm -hmm. um, hell, like, the best role you can get is a 20. The second best role you can get is a 1 because that's where the plot is. Right. And I think that especially as the years have gone on, we've really tried to take the ones and create situations where you can fail upward or maybe just, you know, 
succeed in ways that you did not intend. Um, you could do a crit blow to the beholder's eye and then shit your pants all in the same turn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something like that, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so once we spit you guys out, spit spit that party out into the Crucible Lands and said, ah, yeah, we'll just put a pin in that for now, we cut the camera back to the people mover, you know? We kind of had to accept that we were just going to be recording from home for the foreseeable future and just rallied up whoever we fucking possibly could, uh, you know, to just keep the sh- you know have the show go on. Um, so we continued forward, you know, we managed to, again, like evacuate the people, and then we learned about while you know while we were on a on a ship, the our airship was overhead, right? And then us down below, we were we were you know on the what was it um, the flagship vessel the of the Southwind? Yeah. Was it was was it the South? Yeah, it was the Southwind. Yep. Um, and it was the head of the Sea Lord's Armada. Yeah, a like massive, this gigantic flagship, it, right? Like a, a cruise ship with cannons. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Um, you know, and we had done some eavesdropping while we were on there, right? Cause you know, we got to know the crew a bit. Some of them were more taken with us than others. Some uh, of us can't help, but turn invisible at the drop of a hat mm-hmm. and, and trigger and also trigger Jarrell's fear of doppelgangers once again, as you, you know, use yeah. that, what was it? What's the name of that spell again that you use? Mislead. Mislead, where it leaves like an illusory copy of yourself, yeah. like where you were standing. That's just kind of like you can like kind of go back to every now and again. Mm-hmm. No, I can control it as a bonus action. I switch from my consciousness back to this illusory yeah. double and I can control it mildly, but it's like I'm setting it on autopilot when right. I go back to my consciousness. And we determined. Darrell, yeah. Darrell was just dumbfounded because it was me, but it wasn't me. These are the and types of. Right, exactly. And this is like this is a perfect example of the types of adventures we have in between adventures where it's like even just our idle time, like things happen, things develop and like we get ourselves either into trouble or learn some really cool shit or both. Well, Hedrick tried to out Quinn, Quinn. You've <laughs> been trying you've been tr- you've been trying to out Quinn, Quinn since you've joined the party. <laughs> Like that's just that's that's been your arc, dude. Like that's yeah. that that we, we we everyone sees it. <laughs> well, the funniest thing, like you know, I chose a bard because at the time Mike was absent from the show, and I thought the bard would be a, a nice challenge. I mean, I got into this game. I understand how different classes have different mechanics, and yeah, the bard was going to be like a, a big challenge. And then I just didn't go away. And then that the bards just kept happening throughout. To be fair, turns and throughout the heroes. To be fair, Quinn is a fighter bard. He's a multi-classed. So you're True. the only full-on bard in the party. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I don't I don't, don't, don't want to say too much because I know that Mike's going to probably listen to this at some point, and he's going to be like, he's going to have some words. So be kind. Oh, <laughs> and of course, like the mere action of trying to quin your way out of it is going to have a significant amount of collateral damage, <laughs> be it, you know, physical, financial, emotional, like, you know. mm-hmm. and I'm really glad you said collateral damage because, you know, during this kerfuffle of us trying to 
figure. I mean, I highly encourage everyone just to kind of go through and listen to those, like, because they got a like, very heavy role play, a lot of fun intrigue. This is like, you know, us gathering information and figure out a plan. Um, but we eventually kind of learned about this lighthouse off the coast, right? That seems to be more than just a lighthouse, right? There's like, they're talking about students there. We had over, like, Hedrick overheard some, some jabber about it, made it kind of a point of interest. Well, it was that they weren't taking us straight back to Ardwall to meet up with all of the refugees that we had just liberated from the peninsula. All of a sudden, we're going out to this island that has a random lighthouse on it, and we're on a cruise ship with cannons. What could they possibly have there? And right. yes, it was like, whether we like it or not, that's where it was taking us, but we wanted to try to communicate to the airship and see what was going to happen with that, and we were just along for the ride. Yeah, and then we eventually, what we, we there was like there were griffins like mounted on the south wind as like a you know, as they're like scouts or whatever. We managed to ride said griffins back up to the airship and then use our airship to get to the lighthouse because we had seen I guess there was some some like ghost ships on the horizon, right? And that was the first glimpse we had of like you know actual ghost ships and the fact that the undead oh have found a way to travel on sea. Yeah, um, they, were, they were gross. And so we wanted to try to get to this lighthouse and uncover its secrets before whatever that, you know, evil fleet was arrived. And so we kind of, I think we did so a little bit. I mean, I, I, it's hard to sneak an airship, obviously, <laughs> like into anything, but we just got there before anyone else did. If it means anything, by the way, they were Eunice, Bertram, Giorgio, and X were the four griffins. Oh, yes. That's right. <laughs> no, you we named them. Name. Of course we did. Yeah. Did we figure out who was writing who? Uh, let's see. Uh, Hedrick was writing uh, Eunice, and uh, Dilbertrum was also on there. Uh, Felix and Jarrell were on Bertram. Quinn had Giorgio, and Frecken, who I've completely lost track of and need to reintroduce somewhere along the way, uh, had formed a special bond with X. They were both a little nutty. And he was an orc, right, or a half orc? Yeah, he was something like that. He was the he was the bartender innkeeper guy at uh, that uh, port town whose name I forget that wound up. That we smashed through. Yeah, that we yeah. smashed through and wound up getting sacked by the undead anyway. Right. Um, yeah, we like, evacuated him with us. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for remembering that. Yeah, I yeah. forgot what the Griffin's names were, but uh, you mentioned Dilbertrum, and I should just again refresh our audience that Dilbertrum was the. Um, we'll call him the stooge, you know, quote unquote bond company stooge that was sent as sort of a, someone to monitor and record and report on the activities of the party. Because uh, if you recall, after the, air sh- after the airship crashed, you know, when we first acquired it, um, after the whole events of Tarantus and all that, you know, the party was interrogated by officials of the Darakeen Protectorate and um, they decided to send along one of their own to just monitor that, monitor the party's activities and report back. You know, he just and his motto has always been just pretend like I'm not here. The party has, in the past, struggled with that, but has now kind of learned to just accept that they're always being watched. And you know, every now and again, someone will glance over, and there's Dilbertrum, furiously scribbling. Quinn is, I think, convinced I mean, that he's still writing his memoirs or something like that, or that he's his assistant or something vain like that. But yeah. I hardly noticed him on the Griffin. Yep, of course. (laughs) Of course. I didn't even know he was there. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, so we uncovered a lot of stuff in said lighthouse. It was very well designed, by the way, Dave. Uh, kudos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that I'm actually super proud of that as a map that still translated well to the theater of the mind and. You know, it, it did what it was supposed to. And I feel like the mechanics of that were probably my most successful attempt at making mechanics work so far. Yeah, because like well, I think the biggest thing day. was, yeah, the teleporters took us from level to level and we didn't it took us a while to even figure out where we were going. So that was super right. interesting. We had to, like, remember which one went where. That wasn't yeah. going to happen. I had to draw it out. <laughs> You all know, like, well, if I'm going to yeah, take notes, I, I'm going to make pictures. Right. But so, you know, essentially, right, without having to go through the entirety of that plot, but, you know, the summary is that we found that there were students being sort of hidden away in here. Um, and they were sort of keepers of this particular lighthouse or you know exactly like i mean i guess like what were they studying did we did we ever learn that dave i just know that they were like they were there and like training we saw a lot of photos of like previous like graduates or something because like tessa quinn's sister right what tessa southwind tessa was on the wall uh admiral joseph axel Mara was on the wall right like so i thought like what it was they were they were people of power i mean we saw this hallway of portraits all the way down and down they're all wearing this uniforms or, or graduation outfits and all of the students of course were dressed in there we knew they were studying magic there was some sense that they were studying scrying magic or that there was some sort of scrying issue at least from what we had eavesdropped um and we just knew that whatever they were protecting there this power was most likely what the undead were after. Yeah, it's a, it, it's and like there was a lot of it that I sort of implied, and I don't think I ever really came out with all of it. But I mean, it was the the whole point of what was going on there was the Sea Lords were always the best uh, nautically. Uh, they had the best navy. Uh, they were the most effective with it on a ship by ship and by numbers uh, sort of basis, but. It was because they cheated. Like, this is how they do it. It's not because, you know, they understand, you know, currents and seas and how to build a ship better than other people. They're probably as good as the next guy. They just happen to, you know, magically augment doing it. And it was mostly the South Winds, but it was also people the South Winds chose. Like, I, I wouldn't say that Admiral Mara is quite on the same level as Quinn in that, that kind of juice, but he isn't not either like the guy's no pushover. Right. Speaking of juice, you know, that's kind of, you know, what, what was being kept or guarded in this like convoluted lighthouse that seemed to exist in many different places at once. There is this like pool of water, right. That was closely guarded. And one of the instructors, something like that had taken Quinn and just Quinn with him to like investigate it in this lighthouse. Um, and Quinn drank the waters that were in there, stole some, put some in his flask, and then he was instructed to destroy the rest, tip over the basin, and let it go before those in, you know, invading undead forces made it to the tower or the lighthouse. Which was kind of crazy. We actually also explored I think, what happened outside too. I think we DM'd like a, I think I DM'd like a short little thing where you guys were moving forward in the uh 
what was it the 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 <laughs> the vehicle right the personnel vehicle that zero had constructed um to kind of try to clear path it was the uh Scooby Doo machine, the meat, ma- the burner machine. Oh yeah, the, oh, no, no, the mayhem, mayhem the machine, ma- the mayhem, mayhem machine. No, it was the murder mobile and the mayhem machine. I think <laughs> we never got it straight. Different times. Yeah, um, where Hedrick actually led the interns on like a, I wouldn't say necessarily a rescue mission, but more of just like a, hey, like try to assist the people on the ground because our guys are still in there and this is about to be overrun. Reinforcements. Yeah. And yeah, Arasatra was with the main party uh, going through these teleporters, which may or may not have been in, in the lighthouse, because as we all know how teleportation works, there's no necessarily, uh, you know, uh, geographical limitations to it. Um, but yeah, the underwater cavern and everything with Quinn, nobody experienced any of that and nobody heard about it either canon i right. mean we he all came back with these special it. powers and nobody questioned <laughs> right and nobody right. had any idea what he had done down there other nope. than it was time to go <laughs> and he ch- and he chose not to say anything and we didn't really find out what those powers did until later we realized that it actually allowed him again to like as dave mentioned right just sort of like the way that the sea lords have been able to quote unquote cheat at being the best captains ever is because, you know, they can literally summon the winds and the seas to do their bidding um, with whatever magic is contained within these waters. Um, So, you know, and Quinn kept a little extra just in case in his special jeweled flask. And you guys ended up back. I think we all ended up back in uh, Ardwall at that point after the whole, Mm -hmm. you guys had, you guys had, well, sorry, you guys had, once you had, once we had escaped the, Lighthouse. Yeah, we, we fleed. We didn't rescue anybody. But that's where we also encountered the, like the visage of Ebenezer for the first time, where we are actually able to talk to him. And he didn't actually appear himself, but he was speaking through like a different type of automata that he had created down there. Um, and was saying that he, you know, didn't care about the lighthouse or the students. He was just there for what they were keeping in there. And I don't think you guys had ever really spilled the beans that you had it. Because Quinn doesn't like to talk about those things at all. But, you know, you were in his way. He offered you to join him first. You know, Ebenezer offered you this opportunity to fight by his side, take down Vecna, you know. Um, But you all declined because you know what, well, I mean, you know the stories about him at least. And Jarrell was not about to be working with essentially like the world's like most evil necromancer. (laughs) And then some. Um, so he attacked you and you guys managed to escape, you know, fighting the automata, kicking him off the airship and all that. And we, we uh, did save all the students. You did. It was a plus. You yeah. did. Uh, and then you got back to Ardwall, you know, while the, you know, the South wind and the other, you know, members, the other parts of the fleet, you know, tried to hold off the advance of these undead ships while they also brought the people from the Tri-Nation Peninsula to safety in Ardwall. As we learned in the events that led up to this recap, uh, that turned out to not be the safest place either anymore. But um, you, the, the, this is kind of when the problems started to stack up because Jarrell, shortly upon arriving in Ardwall, was called, you know, 
for a meeting um, with the Supreme Arch Cleric, the leader of the Arch Clerisy of Valen, his faith, and of the of High Rock, the city, which we've visited many times in this podcast, to varying degrees of welcoming, you know, um, people, but Pope Popeson. Francis Popeson. Yep. Or yeah, you guys call him Pope Popeson, whatever. Yeah. The Arch the Supreme Arch Cleric. <laughs> you know. And he told that he told Jarrell essentially that, you know, there's there's some terrible things going on in Ardwall. The tent the temples are collapsing and like the, the people are in, in a disarray. Rock. Yeah. Yeah, in High Rock, right back back home for him, right? And back at this this essentially the seat of, you know, the Arch Clerisy. Um you know, while the Archcleric was dealing with the events happening at the summit, he tasked you, Jarrell, with going to resolve whatever issues were happening in High Rock, you know, to bring order back to the city. Um, and this is, you know, coming literally right off the, like on the heels of the fact that you guys just got back from being attacked by, you know, literal hordes of undead. Um, that now can cross oceans, apparently. But being Boris decided heroes, to join are, us at that point. Yeah, Boris yes. decided to join us at, right at that point. Yep. Mm-hmm. When you were when you guys were getting ready to shove off, Boris was like, "Hey, I'm coming." I was definitely sneakily listening to that conversation with the uh, with the popes, and yep, yep. Yeah. And she had, you know, she kind of oversaw and heard everything. Um. Including some things Jarrell might not have heard, which <laughs> I'm not, or still seen. not sure what that is. Yeah, I I, so I definitely did private message Nicole something on Discord, and it is definitely something that is still only the knowledge of Boris. Right. Oh yeah, I was going, or Boris was going to mention that um, around the time that she accidentally. Gentle, well, the, the thing that happens, you know, shortly after this particular story arc with the accidental yeah. yelling of the. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, yes. So, yeah. But, you know, Boris was joined us on the adventure. You know, they, we wanted to introduce another member of the cast and decided to, you know, reprise an old NPC that we, you know, deserved, thought deserved a little bit more time in the sun. And I know how much Nicole loves playing like powerful, like young characters. <laughs> um, every D and D game we've played, like most of your characters, with the exception of like one have been like, like, like 12, 13 years old, <laughs> 14, think- maybe. The first game we ever played together, I think Fluffy was supposed to be like 18 or something uh, like yes. that. Yeah, Fluffy, she was like, Fluffy the Bonfire Slayer. Yeah, she yeah. was barely an adult and had a speed deficiency because she insisted on doing the entire adventure in high heels. That's 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 my type of character. <laughs> so I just thought that you know, Nicole would be obviously a great addition to the cast here. And um, so Boris set off with you guys to High Rock. And this is kind of where I took the reins and, you know, gave Dave the old break as DM. Um, and we got zero back. Felix went off to do some, you know, more experimenting at an offshore facility off of Ardwall. Maybe even the same one that, you know, Omnius later joined us from, which we'll get to. But first, you know, you arrived in High Rock, places in disarray. 
you know, people were going nuts. Temples to the old gods had all crumbled to the ground. You know, like wait, some wait, terrible wait. stuff was happening. Are you just going to skip over a spooktacular special? How could some I? Some of my favorite so sorry, episodes Phil. so far. That actually yeah. Really <laughs> probably, yeah, that was, those were great. I so mean, we to- I'm not saying that for self-interest. It's the spooktacular <laughs> special. You can't leave that. We only do I'm one sorry. recap a year. I was, I, was going th- I was going through the list of episodes and I accidentally scrolled past those. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just I love those love episodes because I mean, Dudu just shows off what a powerhouse he can be. Uh, I was I, I feel so like happy. The fight with Angus Core was like he kind of showed you what he was capable of. Not everything really worked out in his favor, but this time around, like the dude just got to accomplish all the little tricks and all the things he wanted to do, turning that um, death giant into a chipmunk. I will always be proud of that. So I'll do the little recap. We're going from Ardwall Mm -hmm. to High Rock, and we need to travel all the way around the Southern Peninsula. And off of that peninsula are a couple of islands. And the main heroes are taking a bit of respite. So the interns get a little limelight. And Boris. That's true. So not only is Boris firstly introduced to the heroes, but now she gets the second hand dealt. She's riding the second string for her first adventure as part of the crew. We're on the Oberstar. And this sea vessel, although not quite used to, uh, Quinn is used to dealing with, um, it is serving quite speedily to get us quickly where we need to go. And about halfway, we gain uh, knowledge via three hags from Scrag, the Troll King in the West, who were recently defeated. And they tell of an agent of Vecna whose lair is residing on one of the islands on this peninsula that we're going to be passing. And they implore us to stop. And uh, at least, you know, Quinn is going to have to take some rest from using his powers and traveling uh, across the waters at such speed. And the interns decide to investigate this agent of Vecna, who, like John had just said, it was guarded by a death giant, a towering, dark, magical giant wielding a huge axe. And he put up a little bit of a fight. But Dr. Dudu. Dr. Dudu figured out how to break the game. <laughs> And, and mind you, it took us a whole episode just to get to the island. So I had a whole bunch overprepared, uh, being the first time DM in a level 13 series of encounters. I had written way too much to try and squeeze into just two episodes. So the combat was resolved, I would say, intelligently and originally. Um, I had to give the rule of cool because I love these guys too damn much. And I had so much I wanted to get to that combat would have taken like two episodes. Also, along. I'm yeah. Also, I'm sorry, but just the, the method of dispatch there, it, it made sense though. It's not like we bent the rules necessarily. Like we, he did it in such a way that it was well within the rules as written. Mm. Okay, okay. There, there was there was okay. some mechanics that I willingly ignored. Maybe. Yes, this is true. It's you mean like when Fran we... willingly ignores the uh the um whatchamacallit? The legendary resistance? No, I of... <laughs> I genu- I genuinely forgot that those dragons had legendary resistance. So like, 
<laughs> it may or may not be entirely possible that we use that same trick in the like at the end of the first arc of Mad Mage, and we uh, we oversold the abilities of Polymorph then as well. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because it's great. Oh, so good. So, like John, you want to tell us what happened to this Death Giant? Oh yeah. So the the witches had left us some panties that were full of bugs. <laughs> 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 And I just uh, turned the death giant into a chipmunk and put him, swaddled him in the panties. And um, I mean, eventually, once the hour was almost up, I flew him up super high, uh, gave him one hit of, of damage with the, um, what do you call it? Magic uh, missile. It called? Magic missile. And he uh, felt, uh, it, it, it was funny because at that exact moment, Felix had wanted to utilize the soul of the Death Giant for something else, sent Zero to find me, and <laughs> the Death Giant just happened to explode right in front of Zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he reverted back to his Death Giant shape at about 200 feet and then plummeted to a squishy and, and very slimy death on these rocks of ruins. Um, and Tabi was gifted a vial of true sight, which he mistakenly placed on his tongue at first. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I guess I because I, I, I remember you actually specifically said they're like eye drops, and then I just like, oh well, yeah, what happens if I drink this? They're I'm in a eye drop of true taste. <laughs> I should try it first. <laughs> There's no accounting so, for this. With his true sight, he discovered that they were on a sacred ground of stone giants surrounded by a mass of ghostly entities who guided him into a hidden crypt beneath these ruins uh, where they encountered another ghost named Garvan. And he sounded a little strange, maybe a little too strange for the, for the heroes, but he told them <laughs> that he was guarding a vampire. And the vampire had been wounded during the attacks on Scrag, and he had exiled himself back to this island, or should I say he was punished for his failure. And this lonely ghost was supposed to be guarding him and instead decided to help the heroes if they would liberate the souls that had been trapped by this vampire. They were the souls of the other soul, the um, stone giants who Tabi had seen up at the surface who lingered and were trapped because the death giant and this vampire were collecting those souls and harnessing them into one vessel, which was a well. And Dr. Jadu, with a very little prodding. Uh, I just happened Italy. to have a hammer and stake on me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, was and his, it wasn't his inventory, folks. It's true. It was. We it did was. some fucked up shit to that vampire. <laughs> he wasn't at his best. We drove a stake through his heart and then buried him, like like like, like literally with sunk a bubblegum cigar. No, and then yeah, we filled <laughs> and uh, then filled the coffin with holy water. I believe. Oh yeah, and there's and, and Boris did and Boris did stick a bubblegum cigar in his paralyzed mouth. There's nothing so, better than a surprise nat twenty when you're staking a vampire, and that, again, that was just. That was luck. It wasn't just magic on Dude's part on that one. Like he had the stake and hammer and he rolled an at 20 and the vampire couldn't do much about it, which was great. Um, 
It was beautiful. Uh, what a wonderful moment that this dim-witted vampire didn't even get out of his coffin before you put him in his place. And there Staked he will by stay. A goose. I, I bet although, you he did not see that one coming. <laughs> although he is not dead. Right. He is no. paralyzed. He is paralyzed. Um, so there are still measures to be taken should he be completely eradicated. But then you swiftly moved to the well and through a connection with uh, Garwan, Garvan, <laughs> um, you were able to remove the curse and release these spirits from the well and everything was at peace and the storm clouds rolled away and you returned to the crew on the ship and then continued on your way to High Rock knowing that one less agent of Vecna was operable. So sorry for forgetting about that amazing Halloween special. Yeah, and it was like, and like, because as we were thinking, we were talking about it, it was like, you know, we have a Halloween episode like supposed to come up here. Like, you know, Phil's kind of getting into the DMing thing. Let's just like, you know, ask him if he wants to run it. And uh, yeah, it was great. Couldn't have asked for better. Too much fun. um, is Jarrell still walking around with a pair of witch panties in his pocket? The do it. It's the do. Oh, the do is right. <laughs> yes. The, the little bugs that were in there were actually enchanted candies that reward one temporary hit point for each bug that you eat. Yep. And so he has some temporary hit points stockpiled, although I'm sure time has passed. I don't know how if that stands true any longer. He only so, ate two of them. I think or maybe <laughs> there were a couple right. that were eaten, but there's, there's still yeah, a bunch. You ate a couple. Yeah. Now they're, now they're just mixed in with the cocktail sausages. Yeah. <laughs> well, that means there's probably a lot more bugs. Do all of the baby bugs also grip? No, Cause they're like, they were like candied, like dead bugs. So the carapace was intact and it looks like a bug, but each one of them was filled with a different flavor, like uh, caramel or mint or chocolate or peanut butter. And they were all different bugs varying from like a quarter to like the size of your thumb. This is not supposed um, to sound appetizing. Well, there's a little bit of crunch, a little bit of bitter and sour from the outside. Gross, <laughs> dude, I'm done. And then the inside was like a truffle. <laughs> it's like a reverse chocolate covered cricket. Okay. You know, those are real. <laughs> this is chocolate stuffed crickets. Fair. Anyways. <laughs> Yeah. So after that, we did, you know, we did finish the the sailing to High Rock. Um, when you guys arrived, there was, as the episode suggests, not much of a welcoming party. There was literally one dude working at the docks that that uh, Boris quickly befriended as he was a former um, resident of Riverford who fled during the days of the former Baron who our party was actually responsible for murdering with the help of Boris the Butcher. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, sorry. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly, as James yeah, would say. Yeah, I'm on the for that. Um, but, you know, he kind of filled you guys in on just like the, the rough situation that had been going on there for a little while. Like all these temples collapsed, the people were rising up, they were unsettled. Some people were literally running mad in the streets, like former worshipers of the, of these, you know, like now potentially deceased gods or whatever, like we're just going mad. And the others were just like clamoring. They're starving the, and you guys notice even like the temple guards and like the, you know, the people who serve, you know, Valen and the arch clerisy were acting very militaristically, you know, focusing more on suppressing the crowd and 
quote unquote restoring order than actually, you know, providing any sort of compassionate care. And like Jarrell was very upset to see a lot of this stuff, especially because, you know, for as much bluster as Jarrell possesses, he has the noblest of intentions. It's just that, you know, he believes that he is the catalyst to all of those, you know, wonderful things that happen. Um, you know, so he's not without his faults, but, you know, he was truly upset to see the people of his city suffering. He spent a lot of time in this campaign, like feeding people, giving people nice things, like handing yeah. out money and his food. You got to be a hero of the people. Absolutely. And some of the you most know. recent episodes, you've been bringing them back to life. Mm-hmm. So it's <laughs> obvious your power, your power has significantly not only increased, but your motive and your direction and how you utilize that power has changed. Yeah, truly using it for good. So, you know, there was some shenanigans that started happening at least early on in your digging around and like what's happening in high rock. I know Boris upon learning that the people were starving, decided to try to sneak into the private storehouses and the campus of the arch and steal a bunch of very pristine foodstuffs. Tiger from their, meat from their over <laughs> mystery meat. Tiger because meat. Everyone oh, failed. Tiger meat. <laughs> everyone failed their nature checks to determine the origins and the type of food this was. So you just thought it was absolutely pristine, well kept supplies, and they looked to have been overflowing. So it was even more shocking to see that the arch clerisy was holding out on, you know, feeding the people. You learned that Shalandria, who you know, recurring NPC, loves some members of our party, hates others. Um, was like running like a soup kitchen or something like that. But even she was saying that like their supplies were low and she just didn't know, you know, if they'd be able to feed everybody. So that was kind of contrasting, you know, what you were seeing in those locked storehouses. So that already kind of started throwing you guys off a little bit. You know, there was some suspicions growing. I know some of the most vocal people about those suspicions were, well, I mean, maybe not, maybe less vocal on Boris's part, but zero was definitely, you know, suspicious of just everything happening and the archaeology itself. It was like a police state. You could yeah. see that the guard were really only protecting the temple and all the agents within and all of their possessions therein. And the masses were left to fend for themselves. And most of the city is destroyed. The commerce is utterly decimated. There's there's no travel there because everything has just been wrecked and everybody is in a bad mood. Nobody is is looking to help their neighbor they just want to help themselves and then you have the elite of this religious order kind of looming over them as the last single standing structure the last temple in this massive city of high rock is holding out on them and actually striking down and imprisoning a lot of these citizens who are trying to uprise Mm -hmm. and so Jarrell decided to take a moment, you know, before kind of figuring out what to do about the situation and, you know, decided to reflect, visit the, um, the crypts underneath the temple in the campus, um, where his father is buried, who was also a paladin for Valen, you know, back in the, back in the day, one of the first, in fact, um, after Valen ascended and, you know, he seemed to have received some sort of otherworldly message that was kind of being projected from his sort of justice. Um, as he kind of was laying his hand on his father's grave, you know, some ominous warning, you know, where it was, say, a dot, you know, um, 
I forgot. I forgot exactly when it's done something wrong. Done something wrong. Look you right in the eyes. Something like that. Yep. Yep. And that's where we kind of ended that particular episode on that beat. But so you guys decided to just go to the spire itself, right? Because the 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 centerpiece of this city and of the 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 arch clerisy and the, the this campus is this massive spire that overlooks the entire city and like you know just is like one of the high is the highest point there. It's built on this gigantic hill as well. So it's just this, you know, towering structure. And inside you discovered, you know, there was some people like, you know, milling about, like, you know, trying to, you know, just setting things up. You, you were welcomed. It, uh, they told, you know, they were, they told you that only servants of Valen were able to ascend. So half the party did have to wait in the waiting area downstairs while Jarrell managed to convince, you know, this particular steward that Zero was able to come with him as a, you know, newly minted avatar of war. By Valen herself. We didn't tell them that he was the Avatar nope. of War. We told him nope. <laughs> he offered fealty. <laughs> exactly. And so you were able to convince at least to do that. But while you guys were kind of climbing up the spire and, you know, getting a lay of the land, you know, the the Boris, Hedrick, Quinn, you know, were noticing that some things downstairs seemed a little off. Like the the, the, the few stewards that were down there were repeating the same actions over and over again, almost like on a loop. Um <laughs> They would they would react briefly to our interact interactions, um, and they would bring us whatever we wanted, like food wise and snack wise. We were just in this lounge waiting room on the first floor, while our heroes, the paladin and Zero, the fighter, are going up to speak with the head of the order, the acting you know the act- the yeah, arch cleric. The, yeah, the acting arch cleric, while you know um, Popeson is away. And mm-hmm. his name is uh, Bronson. But as soon as these these workers would attend to us, they would go back to their menial task. And shortly after, like Boris made the connection that if there's a mess, they're going to stop what they're doing and just clean up the mess. And they don't ask questions why. And yeah, it was so, clean hard. So the way that Boris achieved this was by taking one of these sacks of corn that she had stolen from the storehouse and had put into her, you know, her vest of like many pockets um, and threw it into the fireplace and popcorn started just like flying everywhere. And yeah, the stewards rushed to clean it up and this and that, like there's chaos ensuing and Hedrick's was like, you know, what? I'm going to try to sneak upstairs. Yeah. So he tries to turn himself invisible and this is where things get fucky because <laughs> magic was not going to occur as it naturally would. This is the magic random table of uh, <laughs> of spell failures. Yeah, and, wild, uh, wild magic. <laughs> yeah, and instead of casting invisibility, instead an over and I and I quote from what we wrote: an overwhelming amount of confetti spewed forth from your hands in a fifteen foot cone, and it just it literally heavily obscured everything. I mean, it was flying out of my sleeves. It was, yep. it was like you know, big, big stage act, front row confetti machine blasting think, out of yeah, my sleeves. Yeah, like think confetti cannon meets Super Soaker. Yeah, yeah. And at <laughs> some point in there, Boris had also shoved all of the paperwork off of the desk, so there was basically a tornado of like popcorn confetti and paperwork happening. Yep. <laughs> yep, and. You know, while not necessarily achieving the desired result, it still kind of 
ended up the same where a, there was enough of a distraction for Hedrick to try to sneak upstairs. But again, many, you know, like we had mentioned in the episode, many of these doors didn't even have handles. They just kind of reacted to touch based on potentially, you know, fealty to Valen or whatever, you know, they had said or whatever the stipulations were. But, you know, Hedrick uttered a little oath, you know, of, of fealty and the door opened for him. And then everybody started making their way upstairs because unbeknownst to you guys, there was already things boiling over on the top floor of the spire when Bronson was confronted. You guys were, you know, met with some, you know, like this, the, while the top of the spire was, you know, had, it was very high ceilings and rafters, you know, there was sort of this image of like, like outer space, like sort of projected over the rafters, almost like, you know, just sort of had this very mystical feel in there. And there was this orb, you know, sitting on a, on a, you know, on a pedestal on a dais just you know where Bronson was like standing over it and you know he welcomed you in and began talking and saying you know say horrible things to Jarrell about how he was a disappointment and you know just just this just really kind of belittling you and said that you know he could do better and he summoned forth from a room behind him a doppelganger of Jarrell and Jarrell had to essentially fight himself um, and he had, you know, Bronson had put you guys in some sort of like magical, like cage of some kind, you know, where you're surrounded by this sort of miasma of like, you know, imagery of outer space and galaxies and stars and stuff. Um, you killed the doppelganger once. Um, you saw a vision of Vecna holding uh, Tarantus in the palm of his hand in this like sort of outer space, like visual. You managed to pierce the barrier of this, like as your party kind of joined you. Um, and found themselves with the help of Valen. With the, the help door. of Valen, yep. yeah. You had prayed yeah. to Valen, and like a tiny little image of her appeared and pierced this barrier that you were trapped in. And we then finally you used fought. that candle, mm-hmm. the candle, the of, candle invocation, of invocation, which, um, which I did stretch the rules for, but I just loved it. So hell yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's always we have these items that we just hold on to. It's like when you play a video game and you get all these really cool items. You're like, I'm going to save these for the final boss, and then you don't. I even end up using them on the final boss. Like, <laughs> cool things the whole time. You got to use them at some point, right? That's right. So that's absolutely that's right. That's what I was trying to do with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the flame of the candle, like, turned into, like, a, a mini visage of Valen, and she, like, took her flaming sword and just, like, pierced this little bubble. Um, so you confronted Bronson, who raised the doppelganger from the dead. <laughs> I was going to say, Hedrick tried to cast a spell to cure wounds on Javrel while he was inside that space dome, and he went blind. Yep. <laughs> oh, yep. Yeah. The, 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 the spell backfired again, and he went blind. Um, and, and then I believe, I don't know if it was Quinn, performed a lesser restoration on Someone me. did. I forgot. I think it was Quinn. It was meaningful. It 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 was something special because for Quinn to do that for Hedrick, you've been at, you have been at odds for a while, yes. So <laughs> it was um, it was just nice. A it was nice. <laughs> um, and this is also the first time Hedrick used one of his signature like high level spells, Force Cage, where you actually trapped Bronson inside of a Force Cage, and you notice that as soon as that cage of force was placed around him and like the dais and like, where this like you know orb was on this pedestal, um, you know he the, the, the guards from the the temple guards were actually starting to make their way upstairs. You could hear them like pounding on the door or I think, I think, I think it was something like that. Um, but like you noticed that there was definitely like some feel of like some like magical pull or something that changed when that orb was covered by this cage. 
Well, we weren't even sure of that. All we understood was that all of the guard, all of the clergy and everybody reported to this archmage who very clearly seemed to be a fiend and some sort of changeling or disguising type creature. Like we had the sensation that not only the doppelganger that, uh, you know, Javrel was facing off against, but also this arch cleric. Uh, were not what they appeared to be, and they still controlled everything. So yep. regardless of whether he was in the cage, these these boots are coming up the hallway, and they're pounding on the door, and we have to try to explain why there's a head on the ground, because the doppelganger was decapitated, and the head didn't revert back to like a natural state. It changed to the shape and the head of the arch cleric Bronson. Mm-hmm. I, I do believe Boris gave it a very effective disguise in here somewhere, though. <laughs> 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 a mustache. <laughs> and, Bronson, and then, and then, and then put it in her pocket. And then put the head in her pocket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kept it in one of her um, expandable pockets. And, Not and, the and, meat and, pocket. Yeah, and w- and whatever entity was masquerading as this arch cleric, actually, while trapped in the force cage, seemed to have opened up some kind of dimensional rift and escaped through it. Um, yeah, he used his finger to slice open space and time and just dipped out. And meanwhile, the force cage lasts for an hour, so before we can do anything. <laughs> yeah, and one other detail was that the left hand of the doppelganger. Uh had detached at one point Mm -hmm. after it died and disappeared, like ran away. The hand literally just ran away. And he was using that hand to like cast like some really foul magic too. So you have no idea what the hell that was. We have an idea. (laughs) (laughs) We're not the only uh, podcast with Vecna as the main boss. I'm sure people would remember other shows and other seasons. It's also just a, very famous evil. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, as, as far as Laura's concerned, when you guys unleashed Vecna, I knew that we were in trouble. I knew that this was going to be a long process with lots of agents and lots of mm-hmm. manipulative strings attached. Yep. So, um, you guys realize though that this orb was doing something to kind of affect the people because you notice that as it was being covered, the reactions from the people outside were changing based on when it was uncovered and when it was covered. Cause you guys were going through this process of like covering the orb and you could hear like the like people who were previously operating a battering ram trying to knock the door down, drop the battering ram and start walking away. And then as soon as the orb was uncovered, they started slamming on the door again. You could just hear them complaining about having to lug this thing up and down the stairs and everyone just seemed very confused. Well, it turns yeah, out that, I mean, then you, I think, I think Jarrell was the one who smashed it and destroyed it. Mm-hmm. I want to say. Yeah. Cause I reminded him of the time with the MM Mudget, uh, who is the, um, reborn. Who's another sorry, classic. When, when, when smashed it. <laughs> yeah. When, when he, we were ready to dip out and then we said, maybe we should smash this orb and Jarrell slammed his sword into it. And then we knew that was the phylactery mm-hmm. of, uh, what's his the face? Lich. Yeah, Mudget. Yeah, yeah. But who? I don't know. Um, yeah. So you had to get that one on the pedestal. We weren't going to leave until that thing was destroyed. Mm-hmm. And when you did, you realized, you know, that actually seemed to have 
dispelled some sort of large magical field that was affecting many people, uh, including all of the temple guards and all the people who were, you know, working for the arch clerisy. Like there was some sort of magical spell that was affecting their minds. Like many of them reported that they had, they could barely recall the events of the last two months. Um, so while that was at least mildly dealt with, Hedrick disappeared briefly and, uh, the Omega project scientist, Omnius, uh, appeared for a couple episodes. One of our patron donors, Joe, um, you know, he donated at a level where we, you know, brought him on as a guest on the podcast. Uh, you know, so thank you, Joe. Uh, so we had a little fun with that. We had a swearing in ceremony for Shalandria, who was named the acting arch cleric. Um, and you know some fireworks now hopefully she holds us in a little bit more high regard you know doesn't yeah. just remember us for all the bad uh, shit <laughs> probably not me though because at some point boris slapped her in the face with a stake in there too <laughs> yeah but that was i mean you know it was well, past good intentions. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know i don't know where i would think yeah it you, also you wasn't a real steak yeah, and Hedrick, I forgot Hedrick to mention was, that, right? All that food you took from the storehouse was also an illusion, right? Because as soon as that magic was dispelled, it all just like dissolved into some like goop. Yeah, Hedrick, yeah. Hedrick first, was, and uh, I, I, I think there was a process to that, wasn't there? Didn't like it. It at we we had done that originally while the orb was still in existence, if I yes, remember correctly. And then, and then when you uncovered it, it all just came back together into one gigantic blob of like meat and grains. It was disgusting. And then you, and then as soon as you covered it again, it just again, melted into a puddle of goo. Yeah. And Sherlandria seemed disillusioned about the whole thing. She had no idea this sort of, manipulation was occurring right underneath her nose. Hedrick tried to make a good impression on her as best as he could. He wasn't flirting, but he was as close to the line of flirting as he could get without being, um, you know, inappropriate. But he knew like the fact that Jabrel and Zero were both tied to, you know, this great, powerful, you know, deity. And she was, you know, what seemed to be like a shining example of this servitude. And someone who and could buy you some goodwill. Certainly making the right kind of friends is, is in everyone's interest. And if somebody's going to do it, Hedrick's happy to be the face. Yeah, and that, and that friendliness was almost ruined again when the fireworks were set off as part of the ceremony. And no one in this world has seen fireworks before. So they thought they were under attack. Um and that panics quickly turned to laughter, though, once they realized what was happening. As and, and Omnius was like running the hell away <laughs> from the sea. It was wonderful. Oh, it was so good. Um, but in this time, like the fact that even the Omni, the, the the reason that Omnius was even teleported there to talk to you guys was because he was like he was there to to tell you essentially that Ardwall was under attack, and all the world leaders were in danger, and the Supreme Arch Cleric was missing. And then Boris decided to blurt that out while you guys were in the process of calming down the crowd, you know, and addressing them, telling them that they have a new acting arch cleric. And oh, so it, their joy immediately turned to terror once again as Boris was like shouted at the top of her lungs, the Supreme Arch Cleric is missing. And yep, that's that's what happened there. So then Jarrell had to calm down the crowd again. It was just persuasion roll after persuasion roll for like two episodes, three episodes yep. straight. And you guys essentially had to leave the problem that you barely fixed to go solve a much larger problem. Um, in that, you yep. know, literally all of the leaders of the, of the world are in danger and being attacked by some unknown forces. 
you know, and then eventually Omnius disappeared, you know, his teleportation magic backfired and then boop, up plopped Hedrick back in the same spot. But, you know, because that was happened to be uh, overseas. <laughs> so thankfully he we went too far offshore. You were able to collect Hedrick and get him back on the boat and sail your way back to Ardwall. Uh, the dragons were, hatched almost the second we left. Yep. And yeah. <laughs> these wonderful dragon eggs you guys have been holding on to for so long. This Chekhov's gun that has been sitting on the shelf for quite some time. A long Pretty time. much since Hedrick like rejoined the party, because that was the cloud giants, that was yep. the dragon run. So these are white dragons. Yep. And now you have baby dragon hatchlings, which you guys tried to train. The next couple episodes were basically how not to train your dragon. And yep. we <laughs> were great at that. <laughs> and uh, Zero got the blowing up uh, some experiments. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and this is, and you can kind of sense, this is where the plot is starting to turn as well, because um, the pace quickens and events come faster than we can resolve them now. One thing is on top of another, is on top of another, is on top of another. And even before we can fix these things, stuff becomes irreparable, which is coming up. And then we're shunted away from it to not even be able to do anything about it. Correct. And so speaking of irreparable, so when you guys were on your way to Ardwall, first you were, you know, there was this that, that, that ominous sort mm -hmm. of like, you know, those lights on the horizon, right, that actually turned out to be friendly and were ships from the Omega Project coming to deliver a, um, they were shipping a weapon, uh, a cannon to be mounted to the airship, an arcane cannon um, of the same makings that, you know, were the ones used by the project, uh, was it 11? The one in the mountains, that gigantic like cannon that was going to fire into the crucible lands. Yeah, that sounds right. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, as well as some gifts from Omnius. Um, and it's a little aside, like, you know, he had private messaged me after his, his two episodes stint and was like, hey, just, you know, one last thing, have some parting. I wanted to make sure there's some parting gifts for the party. So he left you guys a crate of the custom arcane grenades that he had created with a 64-page instruction manual on how to operate them. That's mostly just his ramblings about how cool they are. And doesn't really tell um, you much about how to operate them. Yep, or what they do. Uh, <laughs> just that they all vary, and you can set them from five seconds to a minute in increments of five seconds. And each option does something different. Um, or at least well, that's what's implied because we only yeah. tried two. And as well as a, a replica of his, you know, his, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Mechanical hellhound. Artificer's pet. He has like a mechanical hellhound. So he gave Boris a mini one that a is puppy. very low functioning, um, which she named Um. Originally, Um. um but right later um yep <laughs> and it's you know does not seem to be the most intelligent mechanical creature that you've ever encountered as it, it seems to only be able to uh mimic the uh rough uh rough of a dog and when you tried to figure out what operating modes it had it had literally one and that was puppy so <laughs> but is there is a a very useful purpose and certainly boris discovered this almost immediately um if not yeah. unintentionally it could purge whatever yeah. items you make it swallow incinerate incinerate leaving leaving no trace no byproduct no waste whatsoever it just <laughs> fires up and it's gone <laughs> <laughs> yep 
But these uh, grenades, these grenades, we we tried three three of the steps. Five seconds was a small arcane pulse um, that dealed some pretty decent damage. The 60 second, the first one was a small nuclear blast. It was the very first test that we did in a barrel. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. Quinn is flying, you know, he's at the front of the bow and he's we're blasting across the waters here so we get a nice safe distance and even with that, the 60 second interval in a barrel, we felt the shock wave of this thing like from so far away. So we immediately, that was our first experiment was trying the heaviest setting it could do. And it's quite destructive. And then it caused, later Hedrick, on, we to, end up, it caused Hedrick to rethink the bandoliers he had just made for the grenade. <laughs> the potential of an entire crate of these would be massively destructive. It, it yep. wouldn't just destroy whatever place you were at. It would I affect mean, you the have planet. to you have to move a lot of things around in them to actually set them to these particular options. So there's a lot of fail safes in place. But yes, effectively these are could be very dangerous in the wrong hands. So yeah, you know, you you did some some experimenting just on your own and then shortly after we're attacked by ghost ships as you started to approach, you know. Well, before you were surrounded, you were you were starting to be headed off by three of them, and you actually tested some of the grenades on those ships, and uh, definitely got some good uh, good results in the field there. Um, cluster bomb, ten second cluster bomb. But it seems like you know as as bravely and as valiantly as you guys had fought in that combat and that sea combat. It was our first time really exploring the mechanics of like 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 sea vessel combat too, which was pretty cool. I really I've always wanted to do that. Um, you ended up, you know, essentially sailing right into the heart of the undead fleet. And it, at the center is a massive flagship that was, you know, housing the, um, visage of Ebenezer. And in the backdrop, all you could hear were the sounds of cannon fire and people screaming, and you can see the glow of fires, you know, be in, in beyond the fog of war, um, because Ardwall is burning and this fleet stretched out further than you could see. You could, there was not a friendly ship in sight. And Eber, Ebenezer sought one thing, and that was the power of whatever Quinn was in possession of, because it seems he had gotten to wherever this power was being stored and found someone had taken all of it and destroyed the rest. And the last people to be there were none other than you, fine people. So the fact that he detected some remained... Because like it was it was a large basin the size of like a surfboard and that was knocked over, but the amount that's held in a flask is, you know, I don't know whether it's a sip, several sips, whatever the case was, he knew that the source was destroyed and a signature still remained that it existed on this plane and he just traced us right down. It's a reasonable assumption to make. Um, and he was there waiting. And, you know, he made another offer again, you know, you guys, you know, he said, either give what I me what I want, or I will take it. And then he decided to produce uh, an imprisoned Tessa Southwind, much to the dismay of both Quinn and Hedrick, um, who Quinn, uh, Hedrick has had, you know, previous uh, casual relations with, <laughs> you know, in the past. <laughs> I think that one side definitely has more feelings than the other in that regard, but some would call it one-sided. Hmm. 
<laughs> one would probably call it no sided at all. <laughs> but he had, you know, Ebenezer alluded that, you know, he could just rip the power straight out of Tessa instead. It was just giving you an easy decision to make. And instead, you know, let's let's cut the the pain and the suffering here and just give me what I want. You have it. So there was a lot of, tep, you know, very tense discussions there and some negotiating. And eventually Quinn offered himself up instead. And Boris, wearing the robes of the captain, you know, that he that she broke into his quarters and wore his casual stuff. The flask for, was actually for three straight days. So yep. his very smelly at this point robes. Yep. The flask was in those robes the whole time. So now, you know, once Ebenezer had Quinn, he started asking him, okay, where's the flask? Where is it? And Boris, now knowing its significance, just decides to drink the entire contents of said flask. So maybe Boris didn't really know the entire significance. Like, Boris isn't aware at this point that this entire basin's been knocked over and that this is, like, the last remaining droplets of this. But, like, all Boris knows is that this is an important flask that this evil dude wants. So she... Because how could he possibly know these things? Because a certain Quinn can't possibly pass this information along to the rest of the party in good faith. Because why do something like... Oh, yeah, that's why. It's his bond and his flaw. Yeah. We're just chugging the flask was this, it was an all time power move. I loved it. It was, it was just this great way to, we all kind of knew what was going to happen. And then it just sort of just sharply turned the entire plot (laughs) 90 degrees. Yeah. So what she was trying to help. Yeah. So what happened with Boris? Fantastically so. You did, though, because after you drank it, you immediately felt sick. And vomited out a tsunami. Yep. <laughs> Boris drank this. You know, so yeah, as soon as Boris drank and vomited all of this stuff out, it created this massive swirling vortex of like water and wind. Um, Ebenezer just started shouting, no, you know, and then all of a sudden all of you were just swept up into this vortex and, you know, just this blinding light eventually followed and you guys ended up still on your ship and on the other ghost ship, but it was just the party and Tessa. Ooh, and we kind of went swimming in my vomit. (laughs) Uh, Vomit, vomit vortex. (laughs) uh, And you entered the realm of the one and only Caesar Southwind, S E A C Z A R Southwind, the essentially the um, what's the word for it? I guess you could call them sort of the the throne world of this particular like demigod. It's essentially uh, it was essentially what it, it what this. What he explained is he appeared to you as this, you know, gigantic sort of like merfolk type thing, um, like almost like the like the genie from Aladdin, but like you know a sea god. Uh, he explained to you that you exist, you know, you were right, you know, in a in a realm between the elemental planes of water and air, um, and it was sort of his like throne world, right? And that you know he, the 
Quinn and Tessa were the first of his quote unquote children, you know, those born under the South wind under the, under that sign, uh, you know, to actually ever travel to his plane. Um, he explained that, you know, this magic that was used from these waters was, you know, literally summoning the elemental and the planar vortex and that, you know, it could effectively be used to transport you to other planes of existence. And we also know that one of the things that Valen said to Jarell in this time when he was actually able to communicate with her again, he has this helmet that allows her, you know, him to speak with her. You know, she tasked him with finding a path to ascension so that he can help, you know, in her battle against the forces of Vecna, you know, in the outer planes. And that's kind of like the adventure we're setting up now. So, you know, Caesar had asked, you know, who amongst the party would, you know, be able to essentially wield this power. You know, he really only saw two candidates in, you know, his children, essentially, in Quinn and Tessa. Um, Tessa elected to be sent back to, you know, help her people in the siege and Ardwall. But Quinn made the decision that actually the power maybe should be given to zero since he, his body actually might be able to withstand whatever forces, you know, happen when summoning this, this powerful magic. Um, and I do feel that Quinn made a bit of a mistake in not choosing, um, as this vessel, just a fucking mechanical puppy that is like, a, you push a button and like it summons a portal. Jesus. <laughs> It almost happened, folks, but unfortunately, we went a different direction. But so what, one would assume um is programmed for loyalty. So supposedly that that would be a, a retaining factor. However, <laughs> the intelligence of yep. that creature. <laughs> mm-hmm. But so Zero decided then, you know, he bestowed wheel of the power and you know, summoned the vortex. And you guys are now being transported to worlds to worlds unknown. So, you know, we're kind of left now wondering, A, where where this portal is going to spit the party out. B, now that Dave's taking over, how the hell is Felix going to get here? C, you know, we know that there's like some time dilation stuff that was explained by Caesar as far as like, you know, living or like existing in the outer, the inner and the outer planes. Time will pass differently here than it will, you know, on Telduria. So effectively, it's it, it potentially means that time is paused. So while this horrible, you know, attack this, you know, that you were too late to stop is happening, there may potentially still be a path to either undo it or come back more sh- stronger than ever to repel it. Um, that seems to be at least the inference of what's about to happen here. But, you know, we don't really know. So I guess I'm going to ask Dave now, as we kind of reach the end of this recap, like, what can the people without spoiling everything, anything, obviously, right, or telling us too much, uh, what can the people look forward to in the coming weeks? All right, so, so in the coming weeks, we've got this really awesome new clean slate of places. All, all of the previous locations have been sort of wiped off the table, and now it's this brand-new uncharted territory. I'm super excited for this. I've never DM'd at this high of a level before, and I've never DM'd anything in any of the planes. So it's going to be a real new experience for me, and I'm just super excited to try to explore the edges of this, whether it's metaphorically or, you know, we literally get to the edges of the planes or something like that. Now, as to where we're going to go, I'm going to 
I have a list of plot points I want to hit, and they're probably nothing like the plot list of plot points everyone else wants me to hit, which is right where I want to be, really. It's, it's, it's going to be fun. I don't want to go too much more in depth with that, because, I mean, we're going to start hitting spoilers in a darn hurry one way or the other. But yeah. we, we, we got to get out of Caesar, and for some reason in my brain, I had it as Salazar Southwind. But no, nope. it's Caesar Southland because I'm yeah a little too much Harry Potter on the brain or something. Also, also as you or, or as you messaged me earlier, you called him fucking Salad Bar Southwind, and I was dying. <laughs> yep. I was dying. <laughs> Salad Bar Southwind. Sneeze guard Daddy, Southwind. Oh, Daddy Southwind. Oh Excuse God. Us, Oh, geez. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's still going to be the same batshit wacky tomfoolery, just in, you know, new and interesting locations that may or may not follow the same physical rules as the other places you've been. There's going to be, you know, the outer planes are places of absolutes, you know, wherever on the alignment chart you wind up pointing, because these are all places that are aligned with, alignments for a lack of a better term and to, to varying degrees. So whenever you get to these places, it's going to be you know, like the realm is going to be an absolute reflection of this really narrow philosophy. And uh, you, each of these places can uh, turn it really cool. Once you start seeing those and messing around with that. Ooh, that's exciting. Okay. Okay. I'm like, I'm like really stoked for this. Um, so yeah, so for- for all of you who thought the end was coming soon, the heroes now operate in a space between time and space where this could this could be episode two or season two, you know, in and of itself. No, 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 no. We don't want to drag it too far. Like I could take this for a long way, and I want to take it for a long way, but not like a long way. And it's, I, I, I know that that does, that's not really going to make as much sense in, in print as it would in voice or vice versa. I'm not really sure, but there, there's some nuance that I want to take this a while. I, I want to explore this space, but I don't want us to get bogged down here either. I don't no. think that's going to happen. You guys don't let me get bogged down. <laughs> no. And we've, you know, and we have alluded that, you know, I mean, we've been doing this campaign for five years and we are trying to, you know, essentially all roads lead to the end. Yeah, and but a year ago we called the last recap the beginning of the end game, and we see how far that got us. But I mean, we are entering the end game. I mean, you know, yeah. Now a year up. later, we're entering the end game. Well, you know, you could we could we couldn't <laughs> have now. seen the we couldn't have seen the pandemic coming. So. And we, no, we and couldn't have seen any of this happen. We're we're not expecting a year ten pizza party, but you guys are welcome to take bets on it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this current campaign is not going into year ten, but I mean, I'll still probably be doing it because this is fucking great, right? So, you know, I just again, look look for look look forward to some high level tomfoolery and some crazy planar mechanics. Like, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm genuinely soaking. We're all actually going into this now at level fourteen, so very exciting. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, uh, that's 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 all we got. I think we've we've hit on all the major things. You know, this is definitely a much longer 
recap than we're, we've done before, but I figured you know, we want to really do every little beat justice so that you know what you're about to walk into if you're just joining us now, or if you just kind of needed a refresher on all the stuff that's happened since last year. Um, yeah. So that's it. Uh, I guess nothing left for me to do besides tell you that if you like us, you can find us on the internet. We're on such places as Twitter and Instagram at Hapless Heroes, or just look for us on Facebook and Reddit, just look for Hapless Heroes Podcast. But really, those places will point you to the crown jewel of our internet presence, which is our Discord server. You can come in there, talk about episodes spoiler-free, because we have, you know, spoiler tags and all that stuff with all the text formatting that, formatting that Discord offers, as well as just any other discussions tell us how much you love us or you know talk about your furry animals at home or whatever it is i don't care just you know come join our community we've had a lot of new members recently and just you know love hearing from all the different people in our community it's it's, it's just wonderful it really puts the wind in our sails you know and if you really want to put the wind in our sails and tell us you love us you could leave us a five-star review on the podcast service of your choice or just shoot us an email at hapless at gmail.com tell us stick of the show you know, say some nice things about us and we will say some nice things right back to you on the air to tell you what kind of five-star human that you are. Now, if you really, really like us, you can donate to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Heroes. We have a wonderful variety of rewards, everything from bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, Hedrick's recorded acapella songs. We're even going to be <laughs> potentially dropping very soon um, little mini-series of things at the that's our $5 level just like where Hedrick in character interviews other characters you know from our cast so you know keep an eye out for that just with those little quips and I'll be adding those as we get those recorded and whatnot. Um, but yeah patreon.com slash heroes check it out so if you like us I don't mean just you know kind of like us or anything like that but I mean like really like us like Sally Field and or the whole deal Probably the whole deal and Sally Field. Don't you know? Skip the or, just the whole thing. Look, lots of people want to try to tell the future, right? There's all sorts of different ways and runes, dice, all that sort of stuff. But we're we're gonna go a little further and we're gonna go a little stranger. We're gonna take this concept of reading tea leaves and we're gonna take it to the next level. So if you really really like us, get a box of black tea from the store with a hundred tea bags in it. Rip every single one of those bags open and just dump that powdered tea crap on the table and start chopping it into lines and snorting it and see what kind of visions come to you. (laughs) This is not actual (laughs) advice. Doable. It's slightly less illegal than some of the things we've done. I don't feel bad. (laughs) Hapless tea vision. Yeah, if you actually take this seriously enough to go snorting lines of black tea tea up your nose, Earl Grey, (laughs) then you've already done illegal things that have killed you. Yeah, true that. True that. Well, nothing left for me to do besides just outro this awesome recap cast for you. So we got, you know, tonight I was joined by John. Oh boy. Phil. We'll see you next time. Nicole. Enjoy the rest of your week. And Dave. Oh yeah, you'll all see me next time, all right. And I'm Francesco, looking forward to jumping back into the player's seat. We will see you next week on the show. Goodbye, I love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. DM Dave, oh no!